Hello and welcome everybody to the Mobile Fight Club podcast. Today we'll be making picks for UFC on Fox 12. My name is Bocholo Cruz and along with me is my esteemed panel of fight pickers. Bryce Murphy. Ian Martin. Tamachita. And let's get started with the fight picks. The first fight of the night is Steven Seiler versus Noah Lahat. Let's start here. Analysis from Bryce. Uh, this is a pretty easy one. Steven Seiler is a UFC veteran who, uh, with the exception of you know a couple of fights here or there, uh, he got um, you know he got railroaded by Hani Jason and was beaten pretty handily by Darren Elkins and Dennis Bermudez. But with the exception of those three fights against really pretty solid fighters. Uh, he's shown a lot of skills in the UFC. He had the great knockout of Mike Brown. He's a really strong grappler, um, and he's shown flashes of being good on the feet. Uh, obviously, he has knockout power, as he showed against Brown. Um, he is is too hittable, um, but that shouldn't be a huge issue against Noad Lahat, who is really an incomplete fighter, and this is one of those fights where uh, Lahat looked horrible in his UFC debut, and I think there's a very good chance that uh, that the UFC just saw that he was not cut out for the promotion and uh, are basically feeding him to Siler, who's gotten a couple of tough losses against good competition in his last two fights, including uh, maybe an early stoppage against against Tony Jason. But um, Lahat is... At one point, he was an okay prospect, but he took some time off from MMA, and he looked really bad against, uh, um, against Godofredo Pepe, who, I mean, knocked him out, um, which that really shouldn't happen against Pepe. Uh, but yeah, his, uh, he's more of a grappler than a striker, but he didn't, he didn't make any effort to get the fight to the ground against Pepe, although Pepe's strength is supposed to be in the grappling, so I guess that makes sense. But uh, Siler is a much better grappler who has outgrappled better competition than Lahat has, and Siler also has power and, you know, some, some striking ability on the feet. Uh, Lahat just is a pretty pretty uh, is a pretty awkward striker. So you know, Lahat I guess has potential, um, but he really did not look like someone who belonged in the UFC. And Steven Siler is a, a pretty solid all around fighter. Um, so yeah, the really the the easy pick here is Steven Siler. Um, I am. I am going with him. Uh, I should mention Lahat trains at AKA, which is a good camp. So, you know, Siler is at uh, uh, is at the Pit, which is also a decent camp. But you know, there is always the potential for Lahat. I don't think he's maybe maybe. Uh, I guess I should say I was disappointed with his performance against Pepe. But I, you know, I can see some room for improvement. But just Steven Siler is not the guy to do it against. Uh, this is this is really a very easy pick for Steven Siler. Okay, thank you, Bryce. Let's hear next from Tad. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Bryce on this pick. Um, I am picking Siler as well. Uh, Rahat is a kind of like, well, he was a touted prospect from a very good camp. So a lot of people uh, had high expectation for him. Um, I personally thought he would cruise through Pepe. Unfortunately, he got outstruck by Pepe, which is not a good thing as a 
Bryce uh, mentioned, and uh, it was especially concerning because Laha was not seeing uh, actually a lot of these really big and flashy strikes that he should be able to avoid. Um, you know, Pepe doesn't really set up his strikes, he just kind of throws them and actually, you know, I'm not sure if it was like, it was that Noah got caught with big one, or just that he just couldn't, couldn't see it as well at all. Anyway, it's, it's always not a good, uh, good to see someone getting knocked out by, um, Pepe. Uh, Steven Silas is an all-around good fighter. He's very all-around, um... He has skills in essentially uh, every aspect of MMA. Um, I think his uh, forte is in wrestling and being on top, but uh, he can also strike as well. Uh, and against Rahat, um, if he, you know, assuming Rahat didn't make any improvements from his last fight, this should be an easy win for Siler. I mean, not, Siler does have a knockout power. Even though he doesn't have much, uh, you know, knockout, when he does have a knockout power, so you know, Rahat is, you know, susceptible, susceptible to getting knocked out as it was he was shown as he was shown in the last fight. So I think Siler can get the knockout win here. If not, he can probably cruise to a pretty, pretty um clear cut uh, decision win. So I'm I'm going with Siler on this one. Okay, thank you, Tad. What about you, Ian? Yeah, the UFC really threw Siler a softball um, because Noed Lahat, I mean, just nobody gets knocked out by Pepe. That's not a thing, you know. Um, it was a really great knockout, uh, an awesome flying knee, but, I mean, throughout that fight, Pepe was basically just being his typical self, and Lahat really didn't have any kind of answer on the feet. Uh, Siler has outstruck Cole Miller, Joey Gambino, and Mike Brown in the UFC, and I think he's absolutely going to beat Lahat up. So, um, easy pick for Siler for me. Uh, the grappling best case scenario for Lahat is even, so I don't see any way he wins. And that's even a pretty big. That's a pretty big if, or a that's pretty his, big assumption to put it even. Really, it is, and that's just Lahat's area of strength, but Siler has shown excellent jiu-jitsu. I was really impressed with his mm-hmm. fight against Kurt Holabaugh. It's just hard to find any any kind of uh, avenue for Lahat here. Yep. Just, yeah, just to... Uh, I'm picking Siler as well, but just to give some clarification on the striking of Pepe, he... So, right now, he has four wins by KO or TKO. Like, his win against Lahat, that was his only KO. And the three other people he's um, that he has TKO'd, one is 1-16, and, and the other one is 4-8. and eight. I mean, <laughs> one in the middle is actually was a pretty, is a pretty decent record. But, I don't know, if you're getting flying need by by Pepe, that's, uh, yeah, it's kind of cause for concern. So, I think Siler is definitely the better all-around fighter. Has definitely, has fought much better competition. It's just more well-rounded, and also at 27, still very young, but also very experienced. So going with Siler. To, to be fair to Pepe, he did actually set up that flying knee really well. That was that was a, the the knee itself was beautiful, um, and he did he did come in and fake uh, fake a punch going in for the knee. 
but but it was really like in terms of the feet, it's concerning that he was getting hit by these really wide looping punches by Pepe. And what was most concerning to me in that fight is uh, more than once he ran right into uppercuts by Pepe. Yeah, he yep. got rocked before he got dropped, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He right got hit, he got yeah. tagged pretty hard a couple times. Yeah, that's probably the reason why he got uh, whatever. Flying need. Yep. All right. On to the next fight. Oh, so... we do have we do have odds. Oh, we do have odds. Okay. Yep. What are the odds? Uh, the odds are. It's like, uh, which one to use? Uh, the odds are around. I have a number of sites this time, so the odds are around minus 250, 260 for Steven Seiler, uh, about plus plus 210 or so for Noad Lahat. That's generous to Lahat. I agree. Um, they're actually, yeah, that's actually one of the closer fights in terms of odds on the prelims. Oh, wow, really? Yep. Mm-hmm. Actually, actually, no, now that I look at it, it's there's a lot that are about in that range. Okay. All right. Next fight, we have Juliana Lima versus Johanna Jadurzic. Jadurzic? Jadurzic? Jadurzic. Jadurzic? Uh, that was farther away, but okay. Uh, Johanna from Poland. Jadurzic. And let's hear from Tad. I am picking Johanna Jadurzic in this fight. God damn it, Tad. <laughs> anyway, anyway, well, I'm going with Yuana because simply because um, the the two two fighters here are um, are fairly inexperienced, but in terms of level competition, uh, Yuana has the big big win over Rosie Sexton. Um, you know, uh. The Lima um, actually has uh, fought in a big promotion. Well, I guess big promotion for a female fighter. You know, he, she has fought in Invicta, but she was uh, pretty handily beaten in that fight. Anyway, um, uh, let me start with a. Uh, let me start with a uh, analysis of the uh, Lima first. Uh, by the way, is this going to be a 125 or 115? 115. They don't have a 120. They don't have a 125 division. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 150. Yeah. So it's gonna be a 150. So Joanna's gonna be cutting down to 115. Yes. Yeah. She's a fairly small uh, flyweight though. Yeah. Her plan is always. She's already. She said before her plan was always to go to 115. Okay. Well, so I don't know how the weight cuts is going to affect her, but I would assume if she, you know, if she's small, then there would be minimal effect. Uh, either way, I don't think De Lima is a very talented. Well, mm, it's very hard to say because uh, she's very inexperienced and uh, there's very little um, data available. But uh, most of her wins are by decision, and um, her forte seems to be in uh, ground game. Um, however, uh, when she fought against Katja, um, I, I don't know how to pronounce the name, but. Kankampa. Uh, Kankampa, yep. Kankampa. Yeah, uh, she was fairly dominated on the ground. Um, like, you know, uh, she doesn't really have a very good back game, and, uh, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't very pretty for her, you know, uh, to put it simply. Um, 
so you know, in terms of talent, I think Ioana is much. I think you know she's a prospect with much more promise. I think she has higher ceiling, and she has um, power. She has knockout power, which is uh, something uh, you know that's very um, promising to see from a like lighter division female fighters, and. Uh, her submission skills is actually pretty okay. So um, this fight, um, I think, is a pretty good entry fight for Joanna. Uh, I'm very interested in this fight because, you know, like Delima, there aren't much data on her as well. We know that she's good enough to beat Rosie Sexton, which is the biggest name she's fought. But it's Rosie Sexton in 2014. Um, it is saying something. It is beating a veteran, but... Uh, you know, it's not the same as beating Rosie Sexton maybe four or five years ago. So we'll see. We'll see where she is at. I have a feeling Joanna will part, will beat Delima pretty handedly, but and I'll be uh, disappointed if she doesn't. But uh, we'll see what happens in this fight. Um, I'm interested. I'm picking Joanna for a knockout win. Okay. Cool. Uh, what about you, Ian? Yeah, I'm also picking Yadrezik. Um, I definitely think she has the advantage on the feet. Uh, she has power, which is true. Uh, she tends to stalk her opponents with her boxing. Um, I think she's a bit repetitive as a striker, mm -hmm. but she's definitely really powerful, and she will get uh, some strikes in. So she has a better chance of landing any kind of strike that actually changes the fight. Uh, Juliana de Lima is not going to be as comfortable when backed up uh, by Adrejic. In her fight against Ken Kampai, it was really the wrestling that was the difference. Um, so this is a bit of a different situation from that. Um, but I don't think she's going to be able to offer quite as much on the feet. She's shown some decent striking in the clinch, but I think she's still going to be uncomfortable against Adrejic's power. Uh, and then as far as her ground game goes, I think she's fairly comfortable from the top position, but I actually think she's kind of a weak grappler from the bottom. Um, so I don't think she has, um, as much of an advantage there unless she's actually able to push Yudrejic back, which I think is kind of unlikely considering I don't think she's an extremely strong wrestler and I don't think she has the striking to threaten Yudrejic as much as the other way around. So for me, I think Yudrejic is going to be able to stalk her and land decent shots. She has the potential to win the fight via knockout because she has fight changing power. Uh, but I think she's won the majority of her fights via decision, and I think it's safe to say that that's actually a better chance here, because uh, Delima is a fairly tough fighter. So I'm going to take Yudrejic, and it's a fairly confident pick, um, but a little bit of it hinges on how she addresses to the new weight class, um, and I think she has a fairly decent opponent as well, so I'd be more comfortable taking it by decision. Okay. Sounds good. Go ahead and make my pick. I'm going with Lima. Because at first I thought, hey, the Lima brothers also have a sister. That's cool. And plus, I think maybe now she knows how to defeat people with comic book names. Going up against Johanna Dreyarzik. After f losing to, what's that, Katya? Katya Konkampa. Katka? Katya. 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 Yeah. Katya Kakamba? Just no. use your nickname. She has an awesome nickname. I know Killer Bunny. Yeah. Katya. Katya. All right. Go with Lima. And what about you, Bryce? 
Uh, I have Yudrejic. I really like uh, Yudrejic, uh, at least her potential. Um, there, you know, there are valid criticisms of her for sure with her kind of repetitive boxing, but she has also only six fights in, into her career. And I, I think that uh, this women's strawweight division overall is uh, just the fighters are a lot more well-rounded than what you see in the bantamweight division. And Juliana Lima is a good example of that because she really is a well-rounded fighter, even though you know her her bottom game, as Marty mentioned, is not great. Uh, she is solid on top. She has decent striking if she's not pressured. That's re- she has good knees in the clinch. Uh, so there are things she does well on the feet. And you see a lot more people in the strawweight division. Most of the people who have elevated towards the top are people who can strike and people who can grapple. You know, it's not just someone. It's not just someone coming from one background. So. Um, so Lima is is decent, but there are issues with her on the feet that Yadrasia can exploit. Um, Lima, there's a couple of things I don't like about her striking. One is uh, she's kind of robotic in the way she moves. She's pretty predictable. And uh, as Marty mentioned, Yadrasia's boxing can be predictable as well. But Yadrasia... Uh, makes up for it by being super quick and powerful. You know, you look at her, you look at her, just the technique of the kind of the few moves she uses, and it's perfect technique. She uh, throws really nice jabs and then sets it up where or sets up her uh, overhand right, and that overhand right is vicious. You know, she landed that a number of times with Rosie Sexton, rocked her throughout the fight, eventually knocked her out clean with it. And Yudrejic also goes to the body a lot as well. So in that sense, she does mix it up, even though. Uh, against Sexton, she did tend to go more for the head, uh, but I've seen her mix it up to the body, and uh, I, I want to see more of that in the future because, yeah, the, rope, the the repetitive striking is a bit of an issue, but but the the bit th- but what she does is really impressive, and she has shown flashes of other things. So, um, if she mixes up to the body. Uh, against Lima, then that'll be an even bigger advantage. But even just her, uh, you know, uh, setup from or her combination from jab to overhand right, she throws it so quick and it has so much power on it that it could, that I think she'll be able to land it against Lima, who again moves pretty robotically. And I think that, um, I think that's that's a big weakness. Uh, Yudrejic has had the speed advantage at flyweight. It'll be interesting to see if she has that advantage at. Uh, strawweight as well, but because Lima's pretty slow, I think at least in this fight, Yudrejic should have that advantage. Uh, the other thing I don't like about Lima's striking is she can lose kind of all semblance of technique when she rushes in, and I think part of that is her wrestling is not good, and so she just sort of doesn't really know how to cut off distance all that well, so she'll run in recklessly and kind of get in between as far as, okay, should I rest? Should I go for the, you know, should I go for the legs and wrestle? Should I try to throw a strike? Uh, and she's kind of been caught in no man's land a couple of times uh, against weaker opponents who haven't really been able to take advantage of that, but Yudrejic would absolutely be able to do that. And honestly, because Yudrejic stalks her opponents so well, I think most of the fight will be Yudrejic. Uh, moving forward and Lima moving backwards. Um, but if Lima does does try to to come in recklessly, that'll be another advantage for Yudrejic. And Yudrejic is good on the ground as well, so I don't really see that as a huge advantage for Lima. Uh, Yudrejic probably has better wrestling. So uh, I really like Yudrejic in this fight. She's not yet a contender in the division, even though the division is is new, um, because she is, she is really raw. But she has a lot of potential, and uh, I think people are really going to like her because she is a she is a girl with real knockout power and a real vicious overhand right, who you know also can grapple and wrestle. So uh, definitely a Drejic here. 
Uh, I think knockout is possible. I think decision's probably the safer bet. Um, like like Ian said, because Lima is tough and has never never been finished. Um, but but I think either either way, uh, Yudrejic should be able to come out of here with the win. Cool, thanks, Bryce. And anyone know the odds? Uh, the odds are seems like right around minus two seventy five for Yudrejic, plus two thirty two thirty five for Lima. Okay. Uh, Yudrejic is. You actually know, yeah, Yudrejic is the biggest favorite on the prelims. Cool. All right. Next fight we have Andreas Stahl versus Gilbert Burns. Let's hear first from Ian. Who are you picking? I'm taking Gilbert Burns in this fight. Um, This is actually a pretty interesting fight for me, more so than a couple. um, Well, really one above it. Um, I think Gilbert Burns is a very talented prospect. Uh, he's a jiu-jitsu world champion who's also shown flashes of power in his striking. Um, he's relatively inexperienced in MMA, but he's looked really good. He's fighting above his weight class here uh, against Andreas Stahl, who's maybe a little less flashy, but has gone through a number of really quality opponents on the regional scene um, and has a fairly solid MMA game. Stahl's base is basically wrestling, uh, but his jiu-jitsu has come along fairly well uh, recently. It's obviously not going to be at the same level of Gilbert Burns. Um, So I think essentially this fight sort of plays into Burns' hands because when it's on the feet, I don't think Stahl is an incredibly advanced striker, and I think Burns has more finishing power. So while Burns might not be a very technical striker yet, I think he actually uh, does at least have the chance to land some sort of fight-changing blow. Um, however, if Stahl is able to initiate his game and uh, take Burns down and get top position, he's still in Burns' world because Burns is a world-class grappler and can threaten with submissions from the bottom or potentially sweep him and get to a more dominant position. So essentially, I think Burns um, has really dynamic skills, and I think Stahl's going to be uh, put, put in a position where he's going to have to be very careful with Gilbert Burns in order to initiate his game plan. And I think the most likely way for Stahl to win is to take advantage of his size and wear Burns down and try and tire him out by being very careful uh, with how he operates in the early rounds um, and using his top position judiciously and then trying to essentially control the fight um, more easily when Burns is gassed. Uh, I think that leaves Burns more ways to win, um, and I have Gilbert Burns by finish. Cool. Thanks, Ian. And what about you, Bryce? Yeah, absolutely, Gilbert Burns here. Uh, Andreas Stahl is no joke. He's a well-rounded fighter and a smart fighter. But man, oh man, Gilbert Burns is an impressive prospect. This guy is uh, one of the top prospects in MMA, I would say. It is a little strange to see him fighting at welterweight because he is known as a lightweight. Uh, But this is a guy, as Ian mentioned, just jiu-jitsu is off the charts just ridiculous jiu-jitsu skills uh who you know early on he started his mma career working with vitor belfort uh went to the black zillions and has been training there a while and you are seeing the effects of that you know his striking has improved a lot uh, over his last couple fights to the point where he is laying people out i mean watch his knockout of uh paulo goncalves excuse me or um 
yeah, Paulo Goncalves Silva, uh, who is a you know a veteran of MMA, uh, you know twenty and nine. He's been around in the Brazilian regional circuit for a while and is not a bad striker. And Burns just laid him out, just brutal knockout. Uh, this guy has ridiculous power, and uh, you know he's starting to his his striking itself is still you know developing. But he moves. He moves fairly well. Uh, he's light on his feet, and you can really see the improvement over his last, you know, over his first couple of fights. Uh, he um, he throws in some capoeira as well, which is interesting. I guess you can kind of see the influence from Cesar Mutanche. Um, but yeah, I mean, his his striking is interesting. I'll put it that way. And you know, Stahl is decent, but really not not a powerful threat on the feet. Um, he's the kind of guy who, as I said, is well-rounded. He's a smart fighter. He has good jujitsu skills and good wrestling, but there just isn't an area of the fight where he has an advantage over Gilbert Burns. He's up again, you know, other than size, size is really the big thing, but you know, he doesn't want to use his wrestling here because Burns is so good on the ground. Taking him down would be a bad idea. So that size advantage doesn't really play out for him. And Burns has enough power where he can, he can absolutely knock stall out. So um, I see this as a probably honestly a knockout win for Gilbert Burns. I think it'll stay. I think Stahl will keep it on the feet. Uh, where, where Burns is, I guess you could say less dangerous, but he still is extremely dangerous there. And I think Burns will will get a knockout here. Seriously though, if uh, if you haven't seen his his knockout of Paulo Goncalves, uh, watch that. That is a that is a fantastic fantastic knockout. Okay, thank you, Bryce. You're welcome. And what are your thoughts on the matchup, Tad? I am picking Gilbert Burns as well. Um, in terms of potential, I think Gilbert Burns is has much more promise than uh, Andres Stahl. Uh, I think uh, Bryce and Ian both mentioned that uh, Gilbert Burns uh, trains out of Brazilians, which is a very good camp. But you know, uh, I also like, would like to mention that Andres Stahl uh, trains out of All Star, which is a you know, for a European fighter, I think that's one of the best, uh, you know, camps you can train out of. Um, Andres Stahl, I think, has the experience advantage, uh, both in terms of number of fights and uh, level of competition. Uh, you know, Andres Stahl has fought and been a lot. You know, some some um, prospects, some um, prospects. Uh, a couple of names I can bring up is the. Uh, the German dude, I forgot his name. <laughs> I was Supian Magomedov. Yeah, 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 him. I, yeah, I think I think he's you know uh, he's you know that's one name that you can you know, that you know, that comes to mind and I you know uh, he's been a couple other uh, pretty uh, you know pretty um, good regional circuit prospects. Gilbert Burns on however is on a completely different level though uh, as. Bryson Ian mentioned her his jujitsu is um, off the chart, um, and you know um, his uh, his striking is improving, so that is very promising to see. Um, this is a typical um, entrance match, uh, you know, debut UFC debut match where they match prospects against each other. Um, I think Andreas Stahl would be the toughest competition. That um, Gilbert Burns would uh, has ever faced to date, and it's the same. The same goes for Andres Stahl. But I I believe Gilbert Burns' talent and skills would be good enough to where he can finish uh, Andres Stahl um, 
fairly easily. Um, they're both good prospects, but I think Gilbert Burns just has the much more talent and much more promise. So I'm going with him. Okay. Thank you, Ted. I'm going with Burns because I like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Yeah, excellent. All right. Let's go on to the next fight. Wait, we have odds, right? We have... That? We do have odds. Uh, Burns, oh, we have odds. All right. Burns is around uh, minus 170, Stahl around plus 145. That's pretty close, really. Yeah. All right. When with odds, go on to the next fight. We have Akbar Ariola versus Tiago Trator. Let's uh, hear from Tad. Yeah. I, I know him as a Tiago Dos Santos, but I guess his full name is Tiago something? Tiago... <laughs> it is it is Tiago something. I can confirm that. Tiago it is Tiago... It's Tiago okay. Dos Santos e Silva. Okay. All right. Um, but anyway, I'm picking the uh, Tiago Dos Santos. I'm just going to go with Tiago Dos Santos. Um, uh, Akbar... Um, I uh, I can't pronounce this because there's like double co- there's double R's and L's. Akbar <laughs> Ariola. Yeah, what yeah. what he said. Um, it's actually yeah, a, it's actually a really funny name. <laughs> it is. Okay. It really is. Anyway, um, he's uh he's a pretty pretty big um veteran, and a pretty uh pretty famous uh, fighter out of Mexico. Um, I can't understand why USP picked him up. Uh. You know, you know, you know, because uh, USC is trying to um, expand more into Central America and Mexico, especially having a uh, Kim Velasquez, a Mexican, you know, heavyweight as a champion. That's a very um, sensible business um, decision. However, um, I think uh, Dos Santos is. I am very confident in Dos Santos's win here. Uh, Akbar is a grappler. Uh, he is. I, this is very. Um, you can see that uh, he, most of his wins, uh, out of his 22 wins, 16 are by submission, five are by KO, and one by decision. So you can tell that he's a you know grappler. But uh, Dos Santos, on the other hand, uh, I think he's confident on the on the ground. Uh, he's much. He's going to have a much more. Um, He's going to have a bigger advantage on the feet, which is where I the reason why I'm picking him. And you know, um, and quite honestly, I think um, he has faced better competition. Um, the thing is, a competition in Brazil is better than a competition in Mexico, and that's just it. Um, it's um, kind of an interesting matchup. Uh, it's a fight against. Um, it's a fight against uh, two veterans uh, who has a, quite a few matches. Uh, Akbar is uh, has been in the game since 2002, so there's wear and tear. Uh, he hasn't fought too much recently, and uh, you know, and I think they wanted to give him a some a fighter who, you know, who has who has I guess some sort of like experience to kind of leverage him, but I think this. You know, I think uh, I think uh, Dos Santos will take the win easily in here. Just to put it in perspective, I think Tapology has like ninety-five percent Dos Santos for this fight. 
and 5% pick for Akbar, which is kind of a huge, huge difference. Uh, that's 90, yeah, 92 and 8. 92 and 8? Well, that's still very, very big. Well, and I think that kind of backs my uh, reasoning for picking uh, uh, Tiago. So I'm yeah, going Tapology with Tiago. was sure right about that Jessamine Duke Leslie Smith fight, though. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if Tapology should be your reasoning, but. Yeah. but, yep, but I disagree it's with a that a lot. Yeah, I do disagree with them a lot, but for this fight, yeah, I think it's a. You know, I think Tiago by KO is a pretty safe bet for me. Alright. Thank you, Tad. Going my pick. I'm going with Admiral Akbar Hariola. Solely because of internet memes. And I like names that start with the same letter. Alright. And what are your thoughts, Bryce? Uh, I have Tiago uh, Dos Santos... But the one thing I do disagree with Tad on is competition. I think Akbar has definitely faced better competition, and I honestly don't think it's even close. Because um, Akbar is, yeah, he's fought in the Me- Mexican regional scene, but he's fought a lot outside of there as well. I mean, he's fought Mac Danzig, he's fought Toby Amada twice. Brent uh, Hannes Brent- Torres, exactly. Matt Hagler. Exactly. I mean, he, um, um, he beat Gabe Rudiger. So yeah, I mean, he has he's fought and he's also been on the Ultimate Fighter. So he's fought better competition. Oh, I didn't see that he fought Gabe Rudiger and won. Yep. And he won by submission too. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, no, his grappling's legit. Uh, he is yeah. he is a very very good grappler. Uh, the problem is he's not a good wrestler, and uh, Dos Santos is well. He's a hard guy to take down, not because his wrestling defense is great. I mean, I have seen him get taken down in fights before. But he's a hard guy for someone who is not a good striker to take down because he's long and rangy. He has really good kicks and is really unorthodox but sets up his strikes well. He's a very good striker overall on the feet, and he has really good clinch work and good knees in the clinch. Um, He's very, very good at... Uh, stalking guys against the cage and going in and out, uh, but keeping them keeping them right where he wants them. Uh, you know, I've I've heard his style compared to Matt Brown, and obviously Matt Brown's the way better fighter, but it's that type of game that he has where he puts his opponent against the fence, but uh, just just unloads there with consistent shots, but gets out before they can retaliate, keeps them against the fence, and then gets in again. Um, so. I think that's going to be a huge obstacle for Akbar to to, to overcome here. Um, he needs to get this fight to the ground. Dos Santos is well rounded and is very good on his back, but Akbar Akbar Ariel is probably the better grappler. Um, we have seen him. We have seen him uh, not. We have seen him out grappled before by really good fighters and Toby Amata a long time ago, and then Miles Jury on the Ultimate Fighter, but uh, but but really, it's I mean for me, it's it's just the it's just that I think I don't think he's going to be able to take Dos Santos down, and Dos Santos is just so far removed on the feed. He's very dangerous there. Uh, Akbar has been has been KO'd or TKO'd five times, um, and a lot of those TKO losses happen in the clinch. I've seen multiple fights where he has, um, where he has succumbed to, you know, kind of consistent punishment in the clinch and folded. So that's exactly what Dos Santos does, and I think that's exactly what he's going to do here. Um, I think Akbar tries and fails to get the fight to the ground and is TKO'd 
uh, in you know probably the second second or third round. Okay, thank you, Bryce. It's funny you mentioned that Tiago sounds a lot like my ex girlfriend because she was also pretty great stalking guys. All right, and what oh, are your okay. thoughts, Ian? Um, so. yeah, that's nice. Um, I can't disagree with too much of what was said, but I am picking Akbar. Um, first of all, because I can't live my entire life never picking a guy named Akbar to win a fight. Um, Ariola at that. Yeah, really. It's so good. Um, so good. <laughs> second of all, because while I agree that Akbar is not a good wrestler, and that is of serious concern. I think Tiago uh, Dos Santos has very poor takedown defense, technically. And it's a fair point that Akbar could be um, pressured by strikes and prevented from taking him down just because Dos Santos is so much of a better striker than Ariella. And I say that not even trying to be extremely complimentary of Dos Santos' striking. It's certainly okay, but Ariola can't strike at all. So as long as this is on the feet, Dos Santos clearly has an advantage, and he can threaten Ariola when Ariola tries to get the fight to the ground. But technically, I think his takedown defense is terrible. And I think if Ariola can get him down early, uh, while he's still fresh, Ariola can really threaten him with submissions and pressure him really well. Um, Dos Santos's jiu-jitsu is actually pretty good. Uh, he's shown some slick groundwork against really weak opponents, but against somebody with legitimate grappling credentials, I do think he'll be a step behind. Um, so basically I'm banking on Ariola being able to exploit Dos Santos's wrestling weakness really early before he's able to really land any damage on him, uh, and then threaten him with submissions early and finish the fight, um, on the ground. Basically, Ariola does have to get this to the ground to win, and Dos Santos can beat him up on the feet. Uh, I think they both have pretty good cardio, so I'm not really too concerned with that as far as the later rounds go, but um, if Dos Santos is able to land decent shots on the feet early on and keep the fight up, he can inflict damage on Ariel and wear him out. Ariel is kind of chinny, so um, if he's um, been damaged pretty well and he's tired, he could be an easy finish in the third round, but I think I'm going to take him uh, for first round submission. I think his grappling is going to beat Dos Santos here. Okay. Thank you, Ian. And let's go on to the next fight. Odds. Okay. Odds. Minus two twenty uh, Dos Santos plus one eighty Ariola. Cool. All right. Next fight. Mike De La Torre versus Brian Ortega. T City. <laughs> That's actually his nickname. Yep. T City De La Torre. I, I don't understand no, the name. Um, oh, T City Ortega. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, it okay. says he's from Torrance, California, on his sure dog. Uh, Maybe that's what that, that is. It well, is. That explains T City. That's really lame. Yeah. Well, he if you follow him on social media, he says that constantly. <laughs> okay, that's cool. <laughs> like it's really bizarre. Like go get I've my never TV. really hashtag T City. I've never really had seen people who has Torrance. It's the very, it's the first person like, like Stockton. You know, there's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can understand Stockton, but Torrance is a very, fairly. I don't, I don't understand Stockton pride. I, well, I guess they don't have a lot to be proud about. Yeah, Torrance is a, Torrance is is, is a um a city owned by practically Japanese people who immigrated here, so. It's like, 
lot of lot of confusion here. T City anyway. man, T City bitch. All right, let's hear from Bryce. Oh man, this is a close fight to pick. It's a really interesting fight, and uh, this was one that gave me a lot of pause. Ultimately, I decided to go with Mike De La Torre. And I am banking a lot of that on his fight against Mark Bocek, where even though he lost, I was super, super impressed with De La Torre. Um, for, for taking that fight on short notice, he came in really well conditioned. He came in uh, he, he came in with some, some really nice striking at times. He did get a little sloppy uh, towards the end of the fight. Um, but, but for the most part, his striking looked very good. Uh, his grappling and being able to, uh, to hang with Mark Bocek on the ground was really impressive. Um, but overall I, you know, he hurt Mark Bocek a couple of times, particularly against the fence. And that's what I really liked about, uh, and that's what I really liked about, about his performance that translates to Brian Ortega is Bocek, even though he was able to take him down multiple times, Bocek really had to work to do that. That was not an easy fight for Bocek by any means. He really had to grind De La Torre and get, get him work to get him to the ground. Uh, and De La Torre uh, was able to hurt him multiple times with uppercuts and uh, good shots in the clinch, uh, really hurting him uh, as, as Bocek was coming in, uh, trying to get the takedowns. And Brian Ortega is a fantastic grappler, who is improving on the feet, but he's not good there. Uh, he is a grappler through and through, and he needs to get the fight to the ground. Uh, his wrestling is okay. Um, I think I think a lot of guys in, in MMA and a lot of guys in the UFC are going to have problems with Ortega's wrestling. Not to say that it's uh, overwhelming, but he's so good on the ground that really he only needs one takedown to finish, guys. Um Della Torre, though, with his takedown defense and his striking, he has the advantage on the feet and can hurt Ortega uh, as as he's coming uh, or as he's trying to take Della Torre to the ground. And I think Della Torre uh, is going to gain a lot of confidence early on in this fight as he prevents Ortega from taking him down. I think Ortega will will strike for a little bit, lose the striking, try to get Della Torre down, and Della Torre will. Uh, stop him, outland him in the clinch, hurt him a couple of times, and this will be a fight where Ortega is spending the entire fight trying to get Delatore to the ground. And Delatore showed again really good grappling against a tough fighter in Mark Bocek. So as great as Ortega's grappling is, and as great as he transitions on the ground, and his transitions are super fluid and slick. But I think that the Delatore, you know, he's not a guy who's going to get submitted instantly. He's going to put up a fight. He's a tough guy to submit, even though he does have three submission losses. Um, and I think that you know it's not a guarantee that Ortega submits him if he goes if it goes to the ground. I think De La Torre has a good chance to get back up. He's improved a lot since moving to the MMA lab, and you see that with his wrestling and defensive wrestling. So I I, I like De La Torre in this fight. I'm ve- I was very impressed with his UFC debut. Uh, you know, coming in short notice and getting a split decision loss to Mark Bocek is pretty impressive. Lost the fight, beat the spread. Yep, exactly. Um, so yeah, I have I have Delatore. It's a close fight, and again, if Ortega gets to the ground, it's not over instantly. But man, his grappling is good, so uh, that'll be a real battle there. But uh, Delatore has the big striking advantage and the wrestling advantage, I think. So Mike Delatore here by decision or or late round TKO. Okay, thank you, Bryce. Uh, what about you, Ian? 
simply put, if if uh, Mark Bocek has to work that hard to get you to the ground, is Brian Ortega going to be more of a threat? I don't think so. Bocek's a really experienced UFC fighter. He's shown really effective wrestling and overall grappling game in the past, and he had to struggle so hard to get Delatore down, and then once he did, he really couldn't threaten him too much with submissions either. Delatore's um, become very well-rounded. Uh, he also took that fight on extremely short notice and showed some sort of weak cardio. I think that's going to be stronger in this one against Ortega. Um, and I think it's going to be really difficult for Ortega to initiate his game plan, basically. I mean, if Delatore was that effective keeping Bocek off of him, his size having a lot to do with it, uh, then I think the same problem is going to apply to Ortega. On the feet, uh, Delatore is definitely going to win in the striking. I think he can land fairly effectively in the clinch, and if he's able to stymie Ortega enough, then he should be able to get some openings to strike in space. Um, and basically, I think Delatore is going to be able to control this fight with his wrestling defense. I think that's basically the critical element to it. Um, and I see this as a TKO win for Del Torre. I was really impressed with his debut. He essentially proved um, that he was a prospect worth picking up and was a really good short notice signing for the UFC. And I think Ortega is a guy who does have some legitimate skills to offer, but I think Delatore is in a really good place to pull out a win here. Cool. Thanks, Ian. I'm going to make my pick going with T-City, Brian Ortega. Because, yeah. Did you just buy in because you're from Torrance? Yes, because I'm from Torrance. Exactly. <laughs> Total homebody. All right. What about you, Ted? I'm picking De La Torre. Um, I, uh, in terms of pick, I'm more towards uh, Ian than Bryce. Uh, I absolutely agree about Bryce's um, analysis of Brian Ortega, though. I think she, he's a very promising prospect with a slick submission skills and grappling skill. But Mike Delatore impressed me a lot in you know in his fight against Mark Bocek, and you have to remember the fight against Mark Bocek that was a lightweight. This fight is gonna be a bantamweight, I believe. Featherweight. Featherweight. Yeah, featherweight. I think it's featherweight. Ryan Ortega is a bantamweight. No, 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 no. He's a featherweight. He's both a featherweight. Of these, both of these guys are feather. Actually, no. Ortega did fight it, didn't he? Fight at bantamweight against Coke. He fought Keone Coke against uh, yeah at bantamweight. So. He is, I guess he's moving up, but he's fought at featherweight before, so Del I Tor assume he's also down to bantamweight. But... Wait, wait, no, that doesn't make any sense because on that same card was because that was a title fight, and the bantamweight title fight was Pedro Munoz. Wait, really? Oh. Let me let me check this. Uh, we got to figure this out. I sure. thought this was after Munoz got to the UFC. Nope, same card. Oh, interesting. Okay, I had that wrong. Um. That fight was at featherweight. Okay, so Mike Delatore is fighting a featherweight, and Brian Ortega is fighting a. This is a featherweight fight. Yeah, no, no. Delatore is at lightweight. Ortega is at bantamweight. It's a really weird rule yeah, that came up with for this fight. Delatore has fought why, a bantamweight uh, too, so it's weird. Um, I, yeah. Anyway, but Mike Delatore is going to be the bigger guy here. And then, uh, as as Ian mentioned, as Ian Bryce mentioned, uh, he put up a he he made Bocek work. To get that takedown. I mean, he was a Bocek was able to get it in the first round, but we have to remember here, Bocek is a freaking black black belt in jiu-jitsu. I mean, um, he's kind of like I guess known as a wrestler. I guess, but he's shown more of a wrestling game in UFC. But he's more known for his jiu-jitsu skills than anything. Uh, so if Bocek couldn't submit 
Mike Delatore, uh, if Mike Delatore De would put up that kind of, you know, made him, you know, made Bocek put up that kind of a struggle and like resistance, you know, with grappling, then I don't think Ortega can submit Delatore that easily. I mean, I think Ortega can definitely submit him, but I'm going to bet that Delatore is not going to get submitted. Um, Mike De La Torre is going to have the wrestling advantage, with, and he's going to have a huge striking advantage. Um, I really liked how he used his reach and his length, to, uh, especially his jabs and his, um, like, you know, as Bryce mentioned, his work against the, uh, defense, against the fence, his uh, jabs and his knees especially were very impressive, very good. So if Brian Ortega, uh, you know, tries to come in, I think Mike De La Torre can... Um, use his reach to keep him at distance. If he does make it to the inside, he has his knees and he has his takedown defense to um, to basically um, keep him, prevent him from taking him down. So I'm going with Delatore here. I'm actually pretty confident in this pick. Um, speaking of topology, topology has 85% pick for Ortega and 15% pick for Delatore, which is kind of really well, Ortega's the favorite in terms of odds as well. Yeah, I can see why, but um, I think Del Torre will be uh, will be will be uh, will be uh, the victor here. Yeah, I feel um, like most of the people who are picking Ortega did not watch Del Torre versus Bocek. Yeah, that fight did a lot to change my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, or I should I should say though, Ortega. You did mention Bocek's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Ortega is as well. Yeah, um, he's well, a mean, black. Like, he's a black belt under Henry Gracie. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I, I forgot where Buck Bocek is. Uh, who he got the black belt for? Well, Bocek was a really noted jujitsu competitor when he got to the UFC, and that was what yeah. like six years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he's like second or third degree. Maybe no, no, no. I don't think he's a second degree. He's just a black belt. Um, no, Bo- Bocek's uh, black belt is from uh, Zhao Roke. Okay. Or I don't know how to say his last name, but he is a he is a jujitsu person I recognize. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a former world champion. Yep. In featherweight. Cool. And what were the odds again? Uh, about minus 160 Ortega plus 140 De La Torre. Okay. Oh yeah, what were the odds for the last one? Did we do those? Yeah, yeah. yeah the last yeah. one, the Santos was about minus 220, and Ariel about plus 180. Okay. There's one. There's yeah. There's one weird outlier that has Dos Santos at minus 270. But that's mm-hmm. way away from the rest of the pack. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, on to the next fight. Hernani Perpetuo versus Tim Means. Let's hear first from Tad. I am picking Means here. This is a desperate, desperate fight for Tim Means. I think loss here would mean a cut and probably 
expulsion from USC forever for ten means. You know, I, I would say, okay, first of all, the last thing you said made me stop from immediately uh, from immediately agreeing with you. Um, but I would say I, I normally would totally agree that this is an absolute cut fight for Tim Means, except for the fact that the UFC has been really lax lately in terms of keeping people. And that's a weird thing for me to say, because at the beginning yeah. of the year, they were on this let's cut everybody bender. And now, like, everybody's getting another fight out of nowhere. So I don't everybody. know anymore. Charlie yeah. Wilson, the Justin rules Edwards, are, Chris, Chris Camozzi. Yeah. But, but okay, so just... Fights, uh, fights for everybody. I mean, okay. I'll just, I'll just say this. I mean, if he loses this fight, this it would will make be sense a, for them to cut him. Yeah, yeah. If he loses this fight, it'll be his four straight losses in UFC. So, it's not a good fight for him to lose. Um, however, I do think Tim Means is going to win against Hernani Perpetual. Tim Means. I think we've done analysis on Tim Means. I really like him. I think he has a very promising skill set. I love I love his um, use of reach, his use of kicks, uh, his use of jabs. I think um, his striking is not a problem. Um, uh, his uh, jujitsu skills, his um, his uh, work off in the back is not not a problem as well. The biggest problem is his wrestling skill. Um, it's he just gets taken down so much, and for for a guy who has a such a long reach, he lets people get into his get inside the pocket too easily. Um, he has, I think that's partially because he has a pretty good clinch game, but um, he uh, it's just that uh, whenever people clinches him up before he can initiate his clinch game, people just go down for a takedown, and you know Tim Means usually gets taken down. Is so the, the so Tim Means' Achilles heel has always been his um well, has always been his uh you know his takedown defense and um you know and I don't think well Hernani Perpetual might uh, try to um exploit that but I think that wouldn't be as big of a problem Hernani Perpetual is uh is kind of a striker. Uh, but kind of a, we saw in Jordan Meehan fight that he came back in the third round, but he was uh, pretty handily beating the first two bounds, rounds by Jordan Meehan. Um, he's not the kind of fighter that would pose threat to Tim Means. However, I think Hernani is a pretty, uh, pretty uh, intelligent fighter. So he might actually switch up the game plan and go for takedowns for this fight. Um, if Neil Magny can take down Tim Means, then I think Hernani Perpetual, if he actually trains and prepares to take him down, he can take him down. He's also um, training at Nova Union with some of the, probably one of the best, you know, not to say um, they're best at takedown, you know, takedowns, but, uh, you know, people who have, like, you know, very good defensive wrestling skill, that might actually translate to offensive wrestling skill, you know. And you know, the people that I'm ta uh, reference referencing are, um, you know, obviously Jose Aldo and Henan uh, Barral. But so I think there is a possibility that Tim Means could lose a decision when the because he gets taken down and he gets just pinned at the ground on the ground for three rounds. But I think this in this way Tim Means can actually use his striking advantage, and perhaps if the fight goes to the ground. 
he might be able to use his submission skills to get the W here. But uh, Tim Mee's run in UFC has been super, super disappointing. So I just, I can't really count out a loss here too because I've been disappointed so many times. Uh, he looked really flat against Neil Magny, so that's not a good thing. Um, but still, I'm going with Means here. I don't think he should lose against Perpetual. So I'm going with Means with a uh, decision win. Okay. Thank you, Tad. I am going to make my pick. I'm going with Perpetual. Because I think I might have already told you guys this, but he sounds like a supervillain name. That sounds like uh, he might use a pendulum as his weapon for perpetual motion. Not sure the evil Dr. Perpetual. All right. He does have two skulls tattooed on his chest. That's, does he have Muay Thai tattooed across his chest? Nope. He has a skull, then, the word, then his last name, and then another skull. Nice. Yeah, that doesn't seem super villainy. That just seems trashy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, who are you picking, Bryce? Uh, I have Tim Means. Um, yeah, there's obviously a lot to be concerned about with Means. Um, I think one thing that really hurt him in the Magni fight was that this was the first time in Means' career that he was fighting a guy with a longer reach than him, and that really stalled him on the feet. Uh, Magni used his reach a lot better in that fight, and uh, Means, as as you alluded to, Tad, he doesn't use his reach well defensively. He lets guys get in too, too easily. Um, he does use it with nice long jabs and good knees, so there are aspects of his game that are uh, that use the reach well, but defensively, particularly with wrestling, it's an issue, and Magni was able to keep him on the outside the entire fight. Um, Perpetuo not only is much, much smaller, he is a, he's a pretty tiny welterweight, all things considered, um, or a pretty compact welterweight, I should say. Not that he's tiny, because he's six feet tall, but he's, uh, he's, a you know, 74 inch reach that's a little below average, maybe about average for welterweight, but certainly a big, a big step down from Tim Means, who, uh, actually Tim Means is, uh, I didn't realize this, but Tim Means is, uh, Arm length is actually not that long. It's 75 inches, but still, the the feet is a big one, a uh, big big difference in height. So, um, I think Perpetuo is going is going to do his typical thing, which is rush in because he's he's a brawler. Um, he doesn't really look for takedowns too much, although he is okay on the ground. But um, I agree with Tad that would be a good strategy to look for takedowns, and you know he'll probably find them against Tim Means. But uh, but Perpetuo on the feet just rushes in way too much. He's too much of a brawler. He gets hit at a ridiculous rate, and you know Tim Means hits guys a lot. That's that's his thing. Is he's very he's he's accurate and he's very good at peppering his jab in there and getting a lot of uh, good combinations together. He's a volume striker with a long reach, and that's uh, that's bad for Perpetuo. Um, Perpetuo will likely be kept on the outside uh, because he's just going to be hit with jabs constantly. Um, and that'll... Yeah, I mean, Perpetuo needs to get the fight to the ground here. He's he's going to be on the outside of Means' reach, and if he can get the fight to the ground, he has a very good chance, and I admit that really did give me some pause. But, I mean, Tim Means, you, his striking is so good, and or at least in comparison to Perpetuo, you, you got to think that he'll win the striking handily. And, 
you know, he's active off of his back. So I, I don't know. I mean, I really can't, I really can't say for sure that Perpetua is not going to take him down. That is a serious worry for me. But the flip side, Perpetuo is a terrible striker, all things considered, and that really worries me against Tim Means. He's just going to be hit over and over and over again. So really, there's a lot of flaws. These guys, it's kind of an interesting matchup because of that, because they both do certain things well. Uh, Perpetuo, as I said, is quite good on the ground. But uh, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, I like Means' experience. I like his I like his striking better, and he at least is active on the ground and can get up uh, if Perpetua takes him there. So I have Tim Means. I think this is a lot closer than the odds suggest, though. Okay. Uh, Ian, have you made your pick array? No, I haven't. All right, go ahead. Oh, my God, this fight. Um, Yeah, I... Uh, I have a pick for Tim Means, but my instinct, like as soon as I saw this fight, was um, that I was gonna get this wrong. And I usually don't ignore that, but I don't think very much of Hernani Perpetuo, and I don't like just making blind picks because I have a gut feeling about something. So yeah, I guess I'm picking Tim Means. I, I really think Perpetuo will look for takedowns, though. Um, in the third round against me, and he did that, and he was able to take that round as a result. Um, his striking style doesn't bode well against Means generally. However, uh, Means was very ineffective in his last fight, and I think that the fact that Neil Magny has a long reach could be a factor in that, but there were some other problems beyond the, just that. Um Means wasn't good at getting off the cage. Uh, Magni closed the distance really easily. It's not like he just kept him at the end of his jab because he had a better reach. Magni was moving in and out more effectively than Means. Um, And there was really no point where Means was striking or was taking over the striking. He was basically controlled um, in the clinch uh, and at range by Neil Magni. And he looked really flat and... I mean, Perpetuo is not a technical striker at all, but if he can um, push Means back and get him to the point where he's not uh, giving Means space to pepper in shots, then I think it's possible that Means doesn't really land very effective combinations on the feet either, even though that's normally his thing. Um, so it really comes down to Perpetuo's game plan and what, what, he's, uh, what he's able to do. I really... I, I don't know. I feel like if you're betting on this fight um, and Perpetua is the underdog, which, I mean, we haven't done the odds yet, but I assume he is because it would he's only a, make sense. He's a big underdog. Okay, yeah. See, I would probably bet on Perpetua if I were a betting type of person. So, I don't know. I think there are reasons why Team Means should should logically lose this fight, even though I think he's the better guy here. Um, his last fight definitely concerned me, regardless of what opponent he got. And even looking at this draw now, uh, though I don't think much of Perpetua, I think Perpetua has a couple ways to win, uh, or at least win rounds. So it's 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 a tough pick for Tim Means for me. Yeah, we should get to the odds. Uh, Tim Means minus two forty. Perpet- big per- favorite. Perpetua plus about two hundred or so. Yeah. He looked perpetual. Uh, well, they both looked kind of bad in the in their previous fights. So. Yep. On paper, a split decision loss to Jordan Meehan in your debut doesn't seem that bad, but a there's no reason that should have been a split. I don't know what that one judge was thinking. Yeah, I, there's no way he won and, two rounds. And and b Meehan 
Well, he looked good. Me and like eased off in the third round. He he cruised. Yeah. He was just like, oh shit, I won this fight. Yep. All right. On to the next fight. We have Kyle Kingsbury versus Patrick Cummins. I'll go ahead and make my pick. I'm going with Cummins. I think that uh, I think that his wrestling prowess will uh, will just cause him to have better control. This fight, uh, King's very shown that to be not too effective once he's on his back, and I think Cummins will have his way. All right. Well, what about you, Tad? Yeah, I agree. Uh, whenever a fighter comes back from retirement, I don't think there is a good outcome. You know, BJ Penn. Hey, Matt Hamill beat you know. Roger Hollett. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Crow Cop. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the point taken, you know, right? So uh, I'm just going to go with Patrick Cummins in here. I agree with Fatolo. I think Patrick Cummins' wrestling prowess is going to be a huge advantage for him. I also, well, Kingsbury is a pretty tough guy, so I don't think he'll get like pure just knocked out. But there is a chance for that. Patrick Cummins is a has a huge power, but I think he will use his wrestling and his ground and pound to TKO Kyle Kingsbury. Um, I'm not too excited to see Kyle Kingsbury back. It's been a while since he, um, you know, he fought. Uh, he he is on a three fight losing skid against pretty you know tough opponents. Jimmy Manu, Jimmy Manoa, Global Teixeira, uh, Stefan Bonner. That's kind of a bad loss, but um, he, he should have lost to Maldonado as well. Yeah, he should have lost to Maldonado. So yeah, he has that Razak Al Hassan win from two thousand nine. Yeah, split decision. Dude. For Zach yeah. Hassan, he was the man, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just tapping out for sissies. Yeah, but, yeah, I just can't pick a guy who hasn't fought for nearly two years. And, you know, against a pretty legit prospect against Patrick Cummins, yeah, I'm not picking Kyle Kingsbury. Simple. Simple. I'm pretty confident in Patrick Cummins' win here. Okay. Uh, what about you, Bryce? Uh, I'm also very confident in Patrick Cummins. I've said it before. I like Cummins' wrestling a lot. It comes from a great wrestling base, uh, and um, I, you know, he he trains at Rain MMA, a great camp, and you know that's that's a camp where you can you can take your wrestling background and work with great coaches like Mark Munoz and refine it for MMA. Munoz is is great at that and great at that from a coaching perspective, and. Uh, yeah, I you know he obviously didn't look the best against Daniel Cormier, but you know that's really not no that's not a good evaluation of his skill. He looked a little shaky early on against um, uh, in his in his last in his last fight. Uh, he was going up against Roger Narvaez, and Narvaez is not. You know, he he steamrolled Nervais, you could say, as he he you know won the fight handily, but he didn't look as dominating as I thought. He was a, he was a little uh, spent a little a uh, little more time in Nervais' guard than I was expecting. Um, but I think that's a good experience for him. I think we're going to see better passing in the future because um, again, his wrestling is so good, and he trains with good guys. Uh, 
I don't like Kyle Kingsbury's wrestling defense. That's a big issue for me. I think that's been a problem before, and he's really bad once once he gets to the bottom. He's been submitted. He's been uh, he's been TKO'd from there. I you know he he is a guy who has absorbed a lot of punishment in his career, and after the absolute beating he took against Jimmy Manoa to come back almost two years later, I just don't see this as a good. I just don't see this as a good fight for him, especially going up against a very imposing wrestler in Cummins. Um, yeah, this is this is a pretty clear pick for Patrick Cummins for me. Okay, and what about you, Ian? Okay, I would actually say I really didn't think Cummins looked too good against Narvaez, uh, even though he obviously did win and Narvaez didn't really do very well. Uh, he seemed pretty uncomfortable to me um, oh, yeah. doing the MMA wrestling things. Obviously, his wrestling is good. We know that. Um, but there are, there are a lot of other things that you need to be able to do with that in MMA in order to be really effective. Um, he didn't pass very well. Uh, he seemed kind of uncomfortable for me. Um, ground and pounding. Everything seemed pretty stiff. Uh, but obviously, he was able to get Narvaez down and keep top position. So that's nice. Um, and against a lot of other guys, I would pick against Patrick Cummins right now because he's still raw and that's very obvious. However, uh, Kyle Kingsbury, a bad takedown defense. B hasn't fought in two years. C hasn't won in three years and D has been getting wrecked. So (laughs) also the word retirement, like I, I, I have a huge problem with, uh, picking people who even mention retirement because it sort of shows where your mind's at with regards to your career. And that's fine. Like it's perfectly fine for Kingsbury to be thinking about retiring or to actually retire. Probably should have done more than thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah, he should have. As far as how it actually reflects on people's performance when they do ultimately come back and fight though, uh, it's usually them at their worst. So um, though I think Kingsbury has the advantage on the feet, uh, he's a guy with a history of getting tagged for sure. Um, and I think Cummins just drags him to the ground anyway. So I, I don't think that's going to be a huge problem. Uh, and then as far as, uh, groundwork goes, I think Kingsbury is probably, um, he's going to be fairly comfortable, but he's not going to be very effective. And I think Cummins, even though, uh, he's still in the developing stages should be able to win fights, by t- uh, or win this fight rather by taking top position, inflicting damage. We all know Kingsbury, will absorb all sorts of damage. Um, and he could take the fight by finish, but I see this as a unanimous decision win for Cummins. And this is a weird fight in general. Like, how often do you see a super raw, uh, underdeveloped fighter facing a guy who hasn't fought in ages? It's the kind of stuff that you only get in a division like light heavyweight where they only have so many guys and they have to make do with what they have. Um, but it is a Cummins pick for me. Yeah, okay. and that and that's what I was what, we, what you were oh, saying at the beginning. I was I yeah I was trying to I was trying to articulate that the the same sentiment that Cummins did look awkward. And that's what I mean that he had some issues against Narvaez and yet still dominated him. Like Narvaez was never really in that fight, but Cummins yeah. did have some issues. Narvaez isn't very good. No, he's not. But yeah, the passing is a big thing, and yeah, the ground and pound. But I mean it. Yeah, it's it is weird. He, Cummins is not the kind of guy who's just going to pound you out uh, to the point where you're going to get knocked out cleanly. He really is not a super uh, powerful ground and pound guy. 
but he does at least in in previous fights he has shown a lot of volume and has shown you know intimidating or uh, intimidating but really strong control on the ground. Hmm. Cool. And what are the odds? The odds are minus one forty five Cummins plus one twenty five Kingsbury. I can only take that to mean that other people aren't too confident in Patrick Cummins either, because it's very hard to find reasons to like Kyle <laughs> Kingsbury right now. Yeah. Wow. All right. I don't. I don't have a problem with Kyle Kingsbury. I don't think he's like a bad fighter. Or I don't dislike him or anything. It's just he's in a really bad situation to win a win a fight in the UFC. Yeah. Oh no, I totally agree. Yeah. All right. On to the next fight. We have. Darren, Detroit super superstar Crookshank versus Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. Let's uh, hear first from Tad. Okay, um, this is an awesome fight. Uh, yes. There are a couple. There are a couple of light uh, lightweight fights that's awesome on this card, and this is one of them. Um, I love both of these guys. Jorge Masvidal has been my favorite. Uh, you know, since uh, he's been fighting in Sengoku in Japan. During Crookshank, I've always thought he's very talented. Um, he just had a wrong mindset and game plan. Uh, Darren Crookshank, in his last two fights, has finally, finally switched his mindset and then actually started doing that. I what I wished him to do since the start of like his career. But basically, Darren Crookshank has uh, turned his very defensive-oriented game to much more offensive-oriented. Uh, we saw how, you know, when he goes on offensive, how his um, very unique um, combination of Taekwondo and kickboxing allows him to, like, create this really elusive combination to kind of trick and also, um, you know, connect with these amazing uh, strikes. I mean, I guess Eric Cook, well, I, uh, you know, the, 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 the head kick that he knocked it out with, Dr. Eric Coquelin, he basically set it up by throwing a left high kick. Then he threw a left straight, left straight, and make Eric Coke dodge toward his toward his um toward Eric Coke's left. So basically, he was walking into the right head kick that he throws immediately afterwards. He kind of threw it off balance too, but since Eric Coke was kind of leaning into the kick, it just knocked him out cleanly. And that was impressive. That was a really, really beautiful head kick. So I am very, very um, pleased that uh, Darren Crookshank is... I'm very pleased that Darren Crookshank's uh, progress and his skill set and how what he's been doing in the past couple fights. However, I do not think that is enough for him to beat Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal is a very, very tough guy. Um, Jorge Masvidal has been knocked, uh, has lost by KO or TKO once, but he is a very tough guy to knock out. Um, Jorge Masvidal doesn't really have any holes in his game. He's one of, he's like a true all-round. He's like a true all-round guy. Like, I, you know, I sometimes uh, describe fight as well-rounded because there's really nothing. That fighter has like you know, there's really nothing specialized about that fighter, but Jorge Masvidal is very pretty, pretty much good at every aspect of MMA. Like, take him to the ground, you know, he's good at he's good there. 
if you take if you like you know in striking he's pretty good there um his wrestling you know his offense uh, he's he's better defensively but his offensive skills not bad as well um it's just that Jorge Masvidal is very re uh, can react and can take this fight anywhere and then it, it's that versatility that I like about Jorge Masvidal and that's the reason why I'm picking Darren Kirkshank. Darren Kirkshank, although he has shown a very interesting, uh, well he he has a very interesting stand-up skills. I think he is um, he still has an issue with uh, clinch. I think he also has a little bit of an issue when he gets to the ground, and um, so um, I think Jorge Masvidal won't get. If this becomes a striking match, it'll be interesting because I think Jorge Masvidal is kind of a orthodox striking, is um, is is good, but it might not be superior than Darren Crookshanks' elusive striking skills. But it, but Jorge Masvidal can come in and um, mix up his game and do an actual MMA match. So he will like, you know, mix he'll mix in with the strikes with uh, takedowns and he will make it really, really um you know he will bury his method of attack. So you would uh, really uh, it would, you know, you would be very deceptive, to, to, per, per se. So that's the reason why I'm Jorge, picking Jorge Masvidal. I think this is going to be a close match. I'm really excited for this match. Um, I'm picking Jorge Masvidal by decision, but I, you know, I think there's a very good chance that Derek Crookshank can win this fight as well. So, yeah, I'm picking Masvidal by decision. Cool. Uh, thank you, Ted. And... What are your thoughts on this matchup, Ian? I'm also picking Jorge Masvidal. Um, I don't think that Masvidal is going to stand with Crookshank for very much uh, over the course of this fight. I think he would get lit up a bit if he did. Um, I agree with what you're saying about uh, Crookshank sort of adjusting his style um, to be more offensive, but I think that does. Um, I, I think that doesn't do much for him against Masvidal, a fighter who's very well rounded and who has shown in the UFC thus far a willingness to take guys uh, down if he thinks he can beat them on the ground, and he absolutely can beat Darren Crookshank on the ground. Uh, Darren Crookshank does have a wrestling background to go along with all of his striking credentials. It is okay. It was enough to uh, get him past Chris Tickle. Um, but everybody knows his area of strength is on the feet uh, at range if he can uh, make use of his kicks and that his wrestling is just adequate and I think that his jiu-jitsu is a little bit weak. Uh, I think Masvidal absolutely tries to exploit that and push Kirkshang back up against the cage, uh, try and pin him down and then get him on his back. Uh, from that position, Masvidal is in a position of um, absolute strength. Um, and I'm pretty confident he'll be able to do it because Masvidal is a solid striker. Um, he should be able to move in against Crookshank, uh, who is a tough guy to corner. Um, and I think he has a decent chin too. So if Masvidal does get caught with something, I think he can bounce back and, uh, continue to put the pressure on Crookshank and try and get him down. Um, I see this as a decision win for Masvidal. I don't think his straight jujitsu, um, is as threatening as Adriano Martin's, but it could very well be a submission as well. Um, I just think that the game plan for Masvidal uh, should be really clear, um, and I think it fits with what he's been doing in the UFC thus far. 
Uh, and I think that uh, makes it difficult for me uh, to imagine Crookshank successfully uh, keeping this fight where he needs it to be um, and winning. Obviously, his kicks are great, and even with a good chin like Masvidal, it's possible uh, for Crookshank to secure a knockout. But Masvidal took that huge head kick against Rustam Habilov and um, kept going. So I think I think Masvidal has the well-rounded skill set and the toughness to get by Darren Crookshank here. Cool. Uh, what about you, Bryce? I have Masvidal, and I think this is a close fight. And props to Darren Crookshank. He has put it together in two two fights in a row now. Uh, the Mike Rio fight, obviously fantastic for him. Controlled Rio and just beat him up the entire time and then finished him with a fantastic combination. Um, this is Mike Rio, of course. So he goes up against Eric Koch and looks fantastic again. He's more offensive, but not recklessly so there are a couple of times where he kind of charged in from far back and uh coke wasn't able to make him pay for it but for the most part he was controlling distance you know well uh he was getting out of the way of coke strikes and he was landing his own every time coke came in crookshank made him pay you know coke would try to would try to get a takedown or get crookshank in the clinch crookshank would move uh you know shake him off and give him uh, a punch for his troubles uh, so, yeah, I really liked Crookshank's performance against Coke. He was the way more active fighter, which is surprising for Darren Crookshank. And uh, on the feet, I, you know, I, I think this is a very, uh, a very winnable fight for Darren Crookshank if he can keep it on the feet. Masvidal is a good striker. He's a good boxer. He doesn't attack much with a. Uh, with with kicks though, and Crookshank is a much more versatile striker. Uh, Masvidal has at times been a really elusive guy who's hard to hit, but he also has had times where he's been the opposite of that. We saw you know the first round against Michael Chiesa, Masvidal was getting beat up on the feet surprisingly with um, weird repetitive combinations, no less. Yeah, and then he just yeah. sort of woke up and that wasn't an issue anymore, and. Yeah, I mean, against Hobby Love, he did get tagged with the big head kick, but for the most part, he was able to, you know, control distance well. Uh, so, but I'm going to, you know, these are both guys who have had a bit of consistency issues, I suppose. But let's say they come in at their best. Let's assume that. the Masvidal, you know, doesn't have those lapses where he uh, gets hit a lot. Let's say Masvidal is at his defensive best, and Crookshank is, you know, like he was in his last couple fights, offensive, putting combinations together. And he puts combinations together so well with punches and kicks. Really unique. And he, he's the kind of guy who you think he's done, and then he throw chains a couple more strikes to, into his combinations. And those are the ones that are knocking people out you know eric coke was not expecting that crookshank was gonna was gonna throw a head kick in in his combinations with punches and uh caught him so um so so let's assume that that uh that these guys are at their best on the feet uh crookshank to me wins the striking that way because crookshank has much better much more versatile combinations as i said and uh, even though Masvidal is offensive, Crookshank is very good at getting out of the way and retaliating with his own strikes. You know, there he he was a good defensive striker before, but now he's just being more active. And uh, but what makes me pick Masvidal is the wrestling. And it's not a it's not an open and shut case by any means. This will be a big test for Darren Crookshank to see what where his wrestling defense is at. But I know where Hori Masvidal's wrestling is. It's very good. Even though he doesn't use it a ton, he has, as, as Ian said, shown uh, he's willing to use it if he needs to. And I think because of his striking background, um, you know, people kind of assume he's not going to go in and wrestle. 
Um, but against Tim Means, you know, he took him down easily. Uh, he's shown that in other fights as well, his ability to get the fight to the ground. So um, this is a big test for Crookshank. Can he stop Mosvidal, who is going to also at times land on the feed? It's not a clear win for Crookshank there, even though I think he has the advantage. Mosvidal will hang with him on the feed, will land his own shots, and is really good at transitioning between his boxing and his wrestling. So that's a big test for Crookshank. Can uh, can he uh, d- properly defend against a solid wrestler who is going to be able to uh, to set up his wrestling with strikes? And um, Masvidal does it so well that I simply have to pick him in this fight. Um, it's you know I think Crookshank can win for sure, and it was one of the harder picks for me on the card. But Masvidal is the proven fighter. Um, he is the he is the superior wrestler um, from what I from what we've seen. And uh, he's good enough on the feet where it's not going to be, you know, a, it's it's not going to be an easy win for Crookshank even there. So I like Corey Masvidal in this fight. Cool. Thanks, Bryce. I'll go ahead and make my pick. Go in with Masvidal as well. Um, I do agree that Crookshank has uh, has very good striking, but. Uh, Masvidal is very good striking on his own and is very tough. And I think he also, I think of the two, I I, I trust uh, just Masvidal's game planning a bit more. I mean, given, yes, Crookshank has been able to pull it together for two fights, but I guess in just long, in longer bouts or in just for a longer stretch of time, Masvidal has been putting it together a little uh, i would say a little bit better he has yeah his wrestling is good his defensive wrestling is good grappling he's solid i just like uh just like masvidal all around but i think this will be a i think this is a very competitive fight i think it's a very close fight i think it'll be very entertaining to watch uh what are the odds uh the odds are minus 240 masvidal uh, plus two hundred Crookshank. Huh. Okay. On to another lightweight bout. We have Josh Thompson versus Bobby Cupcheck Green. <laughs> so uh, let's hear first from Tad. Okay. Um I am not as excited for this lightweight bout, but I think it's still going to be a pretty good fight. Um, Bobby Green has has a pretty impressive three fight winning streak in um, UFC. Uh, his last win over Pat Healy was pretty impressive. I didn't think he would win, but he did. Um, speaking of Pat Healy, he's he's now four four losses in UFC. He's done. Uh, that's really surprising to see. But anyway, um, but this is. Although he has had a pretty impressive run so far, uh, Josh Thompson is going to be a, another kind of beast here. Um, Josh Thompson, it's a huge jump in the level competition. Pat Healy is, uh, in my opinion, around a... It's like one of those guys who's like around maybe in top 15, maybe not. Um, probably not. Uh, so Bobby Green somewhere floating somewhere just outside of top ten, maybe like he's one of those guys 
who would uh, who might make it in if he wins like the bottom level uh, top ten guys. But Josh Thompson is a legit contender. Uh, he, Josh Thompson, um, he's shown that he's um, in his fight against Ben Henderson, Spencer Henderson. I don't know how he lost that fight, but uh, he has impressive takedown skills, and you know, being able to take him down again, take get a takedown against the Benson Henderson is a pretty impressive feat. Um, his wrestling is really good. His take, his his uh, takedown uh, skills from a uh, from clinch is even more impressive. Uh, you know, as he showed against his fight against Nate Diaz, his uh, kicks and his kickboxing skills is you know top class as well. Josh Thompson doesn't really have any holes in his game, you know, um, except that uh, you know he is kind of a kind of a streaky at times because of his injuries. Uh, so you never know uh, if he comes in completely healthy, but uh, uh, but you know, and also um, Josh Thompson also you know considered retirement. That's another thing that's to be concerned about. But the thing is, the, the difference in the level of competition that Bobby Green has faced so far to Josh Thompson is so different that I just can't pick Bobby Green. Bobby Green is a pretty good fighter in, in his, you know, in himself. He is pretty well-rounded. He is, uh, he has kind of a weird striking style that I don't really like, but has worked so far. Um, his um, submission skill is pretty good. Uh, his wrestling, you know, I guess is okay. Um, but like you know, against Josh Thompson, who is like basically a top, you know, top of the line, I don't think Bobby Green has a skill set that he could beat Josh Thompson with. Maybe his his power, but that's even um, being skeptical because Josh Thompson has a pretty good power too. So I am picking Josh Thompson to win this fight. Um, I thought his uh, Bobby Green's original fight against Abel Trujillo was a better matchup, but you know, John, uh, you know this this fight works as well. Yeah, so going with Josh Thompson, I'm very confident this was a pretty easy pick for me. Thanks, Tad. Uh, make my pick. I'm going with Josh Thompson as well. I think Bobby Green is definitely a talented. Uh, lightweight, but I do agree that in comparison, Josh Thompson's definitely up there, should be up there in title contention. I think he had a very competitive match against Benson Henderson. He had, you know, that trilogy against uh, Gilbert Melendez, which were all very closely contested. Um, just impressive wins over Nate, Nate Diaz and Let's see who uh, who else does he find anyone else in the UFC? I'm trying to remember other than Benson Henderson, Nate Diaz. Nope. 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 He yeah, beat KJ Noons in Strike Force. Oh, Yay! That fight. Yeah. He only has four fights in the last four years or so. Dude, yeah, he's yeah. had he's had a huge like injury with. Yes. Yep. That's that's true. But yeah, just just really good kickboxing. Good uh, grappling, uh, wrestling, like takedowns. Just overall, like if he's healthy, um, Josh Thompson is a very dan- dangerous fighter, and I think he just has all the skills to beat um, to beat Bobby Green. Um, I just think he's too uh, too skilled, too experienced, uh, 
Uh, just a better fighter. Uh, what about you, Ian? Uh, yeah, remember that thing where I was talking about Al Kingsbury and how I never want to pick anybody who discusses retirement? Yeah, I'm going to contradict that right now because I'm picking Josh Thompson. Um, and it's it's kind of unfortunate because I really did uh, find his original fight against Michael Johnson quite intriguing. And like Tad said, I really was interested in uh, Bobby Green and Abel Trujillo as well. Um, and I think this fight is a little bit less compelling than either of those because, to me, this one's not close enough. Um, first of all, Josh Thompson beat Benson Henderson in his last fight but wasn't given the decision, so that's nice. Uh, Benson Henderson being uh, the former lightweight champion and pretty much unanimously regarded as the second-best lightweight in the world, um, unless you think Melendez beat him as well, which a lot of people do. So eh, he's top five for sure. Um, and Thompson looked really good in that fight. He was able to beat Benson basically everywhere. Um, he was really effective, um, for five rounds. So, you know, he's, he doesn't have any kind of cardio problem and he's good all over the place. And I think Bobby Green's going to have trouble dealing with that because, uh, Thompson's versatility is going to put a lot of pressure on Green. First of all, because I think Green is a little bit less versatile in terms of the striking, um, obviously we know he can kick you to the balls, but in terms of where he does his most effective striking, I think it's in his boxing and, uh, Thompson presents more versatility on the feet. Thompson's a very accomplished kickboxer in MMA. Um, I think Thompson's the stronger wrestler here. And though green showed great survivability against Bobby or rather against, uh, Jacob Volkman on the ground, um, dealing with Volkman's wrestling attack really well. And then ultimately reversing and then ending the fight via submission. I think Thompson's still the stronger wrestler, and I also give Thompson the edge in terms of jujitsu. It's just really difficult for me to find any particular place where I think Green has a serious edge against Thompson. Though Green's a really game fighter, and he's really tough everywhere, I think Thompson's going to be a step ahead. And I think the ability for Thompson uh, to use his versatility to dictate uh, where this fight goes is going to be critical. Um, because as long as he's able to keep it somewhere where he find, uh, where he considers himself most comfortable, um, I think that he can control positions and, and beat a tough Bobby Green to a pretty clear unanimous decision. So, uh, I really like Josh Thompson. I think he's looked great in the UFC thus far. I'm glad he chose not to retire because he still has a lot to offer to the UFC's lightweight division if he chooses to continue. Um, and I think it's unfortunate that he's not going to get to fight Michael Johnson, but... Uh, I think I would have probably picked Thompson either way. Okay. And Bryce. Yeah, I like Thompson as well. I'll make it a clean sweep. Uh, I really like Bobby Green, and um, I, I disagree with Tad on Green's striking style. I First off, I don't think Green is going to do that every single time. He was, he was dropping his hands to an extreme degree against Healy and Volkman. But keep in mind... That's Pat Healy and Jacob Volkman. Those are guys who cannot strike in the pocket. So um, there are advantages to keeping your hands down. It's not the smartest strategy in most cases, but there are advantages to it, uh, particularly with takedown defense. And I think that's what he was more worried about. Green moves really well and doesn't get hit very often. And so in those fights, you know, he had no problem getting out of the way of Healy and Volkman. Um you know, he was. It actually looked like watching that fight live. Um, it looked like Healy was hitting Green a lot more than he was, but Green was slipping just out of the way of Healy's punches. He controlled distance really nicely in that fight, and 
Um, so I don't have a problem with, you know, what, again, watching it live, I wasn't too pleased with Green constantly keeping his hands down because it looked like he was getting tagged a lot more than he was. But uh, as I went back and rewatched that fight, uh, both the Volkman and Healy fights, I'm perfectly okay with him keeping his hands down if he can move like he like he did and outstrike both of his opponents with ease. He sh- probably shouldn't do that against Josh Thompson because uh, Josh Thompson is a very good striker and a good boxer, and he cuts off distance very well. Uh, and cuts angles very well. So Bobby Green is not going to have a ton of places to move in this fight. Uh, Thompson, Thompson is a really tough guy to to uh, um, really tough guy to defend against. And Thompson's a smart fighter. So I think that Green is a. Uh, Green will probably need to keep his hands up more, and he doesn't want to get in a straight boxing match with Thompson. He also doesn't want to get in a wrestling match with Thompson because Thompson will win that. Green's wrestling defense is good, and he uh, not only did he reverse Jacob Volkman, keep in mind he reversed uh, Pat Healy a couple of times when Healy got him to the ground. So Green is very good from the bottom and has a good active guard, Um, but... Yeah, it's really hard to find where uh, the advantage is live for Green here. Thompson's a great wrestler. He's a great striker um, and a very smart fighter. Uh, the only thing I'm concerned about with Thompson is, of course, the injuries. He did break his hand in the Benson Henderson fight, if I remember correctly, or at least severely hurt it, that it impacted yeah, yeah, him later, later in the fight. Um, that plus his retirement talk. Um, may And Green, because he moves around a lot, if Green can uh, you know, improve uh, his... Just just improve his uh his distance a little bit, which he is very good at already. Um, he could make Thompson work harder than he than he's used to, and I Green has excellent cardio, so I could see a situation where Green uh is the fresher fighter in the third round. That's not by any means a confidence assumption, and I don't think it's going to happen. But there are things that Bobby Green does well that could give, you know, a, 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 a past his prime in many ways and and off to hurt Josh Thompson uh, problems. But there there are so many things that Thompson does well. It's hard to pick against him in this fight. Both the striking and grappling advantages should be in Thompson's corner. And uh, also, you know, Green, even though he was training for a fight, uh he was training for a very different opponent and going in and facing Josh Thompson uh, is it's very difficult to do that on short notice. Cause Thompson is such a smart fighter and such a veteran of the sport. So yeah, I have, I have Josh Thompson here probably by, probably by decision. Okay. And what are the odds? Um, the odds really vary here. Um, oh, really? Most are around minus two sixty. For Josh Thompson, there is one that's minus three thirty-five. Um, Bobby Green is generally around plus two ten or so. Okay. Somebody's paying that upset money for this card. Yep. All right. On to the next fight: featherweights, Clay Guida versus Dennis Bermudez. Uh, Tad, who are you picking? Um. You want me to go again, uh, first? But anyway, uh, yeah, sure. I think yeah, I think I jinxed myself by picking against Quida in the past couple fights. Well, it's funny. Whenever he fights a Japanese fighter, he wins, and I hate him for it. So I'm gonna pick Clay Guida this time, because he's not fighting a Japanese fighter. That totally makes sense. 
All right. Reasoning but... just through the roof, Tad. <laughs> uh... Say, say what? <laughs> Oh, but man. anyway, uh, well, just uh, just quick note. I think Clay Guida, despite all the hate I gave him, I think he's probably one of my uh, least favorite fighter to watch fight. But um, I will give him credit. He has insane cardio. He has cardio for days. And sometimes his really caveman-like weird, you know, tactics work. Um so um, I think he can do that same. Well, he won't do the same thing. I think he will go. He will. Uh, per, he will pursue takedown really, really um, a lot against Dennis Bermudez. And I think he, because of his uh, perpetual uh, want to fight to get the fight to the ground, I think he will get it. Um, and yeah, so I think I'm going to pick Clay Guida. I think this is a. Big step up in competition for Dennis Bermudez. As much as I hate Clay Guida, he is that he is top ten in featherweight. Um, Dennis Bermudez is kind of like uh, just stalling somewhere outside of top ten. I think this is a fight that makes sense. I'm not sure. I'm not too confident if he has the skill set to uh, beat Clay Guida. So I'm going with uh, Clay Guida this this time. Okay. Uh, what about you, Bryce? I have Dennis Bermudez, and I think Clay Guida absolutely has skills. Um, his his wrestling is quite good, as shown by uh, the fight against Tetsuya Kawajiri. Um, I think if there are any any doubt about his wrestling ability, he is good at getting takedowns. In that uh, he he is good at getting takedowns. Um, so why do I have Bermudez then? I have Bermudez because I love his scrambling ability, and Clay Guida uh, is very inactive. Once he gets the fight to the ground, he's May, he, you may think he's active on the feet because he moves around a lot, but he's really not doing anything with his with his uh, <laughs> with his movements. Uh, Caveman-like um, movement. Yeah, his cardio is fantastic, no doubt about that. But when Guida gets the fights to the ground, he often attacks with shoulder strikes and very little else. Um, Bermudez is a wrestler who is very good at escaping from the bottom. He's a guy who's well-rounded and good, good everywhere. And I like his his scrambles. I think that I think that if Guida gets him down, he's a hard. He's going to be a hard guy to hold down. And um, and Guida is not as good from the bottom. And Bermudez has a really strong wrestling base himself. So I think there is a. I think Bermudez is going to be a, just a tough guy to hold down for Guida. If Guida gets him down, I think Bermudez can reverse it. He's not going to be like Hatsuhioki or some of the other guys Guida's fought, where he's just going to you know go for submissions off at the back. Uh, Bermudez is going to try to escape and is very good at it. So I think you're going to see the fight go everywhere like a, like a Dennis Bermudez fight usually does. And I give Bermudez uh, the advantage on the ground for activity, even if the Guida uh, Guida's wrestling is probably on par with Bermudez, if not a little better. But uh, Bermudez, I think, can control Guida on. I think that even if Guida gets the fight to the ground, I think Bermudez will be the one who will control Guida on top more than Guida controls him. And also, Bermudez is a more technical striker and honestly a more active striker than Guida. As I said, Guida moves around a lot, but he doesn't throw a lot. Uh, Bermudez throws a lot. He's very active on the feet, and he's the one who's going to be coming forward and doing most of the damage on the feet. So uh, it's a it's a close fight, and maybe you know it, you know Guida is fantastic in neutralizing people. So maybe Guida does get Bermudez down and holds him down for 15 minutes. There's absolutely a chance of that. But I've been very impressed with Bermudez's scrambling ability and his work from the bottom when he has been taken down. 
Um, and I think that's going to give Guida problems. So I have a slight pick here for Dennis Bermudez. Um, if Bermudez is able to escape Guida, it could be a good fight. Um, obviously, if Guida just holds him down, then it probably won't be much of anything. But, you know, uh, yeah, tough tough fight here, but I'm, I'm going to give it to Bermudez. Okay, and what about you, Ian? I have Clay Guida. Um, yeah, I think Clay Guida is the better wrestler, though they're both, uh, com- they both come from a wrestling background and they both have solid wrestling. Uh, I think Guida has better jujitsu. Uh, I will agree that Bermudez has better, better striking because Clay Guida's striking style is just stupid. Um, like we've been over that, so I don't want to talk about it, but it's dumb and he doesn't do enough. Um, so this absolutely should be a kind of scrambly goes everywhere kind of fight um it could be a very grindy affair if guida is constantly being the one to initiate uh and putting the pressure on bermudas because we know that's really what guida wants to do um he doesn't get in uh wild striking exchanges unless he absolutely has to so i think that could happen later on in this fight but initially i expect guida to do his typical thing um, of initiating the wrestling. I think he pushes Bermudez up against the cage, and I think that's where Bermudez will be more effective in scrambles, uh, because though, as long as Bermudez is on his feet um, or anywhere near that, he's able to pretty effectively move around and get out of bad positions. But I think if Guida actually has him down, it's going to be harder for Bermudez to get his scrambles off. Um, and though Guida's inactive, and I think Bermudez will be the more active guy even in those situations, even if Guida's effective at holding him down, um, Guida has this way of winning fights that he shouldn't win. Uh, he seems to be favored by the judges for whatever reason, um, and he all the time takes rounds that I could have swore he lost. So it's difficult for me to imagine in a fight that's going to involve um, a lot of scrambling, a lot of changes of positions, and Guida being the better wrestler, that Guida's not actually going to steal rounds. So for me, since both guys are super tough and have good cardio, uh, I see this going to the judges, and I see Guida eking out a really narrow decision. It's a step up in competition for Bermudez. I think he's going to make a great fight out of it, but at the end of the day, I think Guida's going to win. And obviously, because I hate Clay Guida, I hope he won't. So um, this pick is sort of like a 50-50 deal. I either get the pick right or I get what I want in the fight. So I'm taking Guida. Okay. Thanks, Ian. Not too big a fan of Clay Guida as well. So... I am picking Dennis Bermudez. Hope he pulls this one off. That would be great. I do agree, though, that Guida has good cardio, relentless to takedowns, and just has a way of winning close fights. Yep. What are the odds? Um, the odds are minus one. Uh, about 160 Bermudez plus 130 Guida. So Bermudez is the favorite. Wow. That's kind of interesting. And just, to be, interesting. just to be clear, you are going with Bermudez, Pacholo. Yes, going with Bermudez. Okay. Yep. Okay, so two and two here. Yep. Okay. On bet to the, the house. next. What's that? I said bet the house. Oh, yeah, bet the house. Bet the house on Bermudez. Oh, on this one, yeah. Bet the house on the Brazilian guy. Okay, no, we have no, don't don't do that. Anthony Rumble Johnson versus Antonio Rogério Nogueira. Okay, um, let's start with Bryce. Uh, 
Uh, I am picking Anthony Rumble Johnson, and it's really not that tough of a pick. Um, he looked absolutely fantastic against Phil Davis. That was the best Rumble Johnson I've ever seen. Um, his wrestling defense was just fantastic in the fight. Davis could not get him down for the life of him, and Johnson was putting on a clinic on the feed. He was showing a lot of uh, a lot of variation in his strikes, uh, moving really well. Showed fantastic cardio, which is so weird for Anthony Johnson, considering all the time that he had cutting way too much weight. Uh, he looked great for all 15 minutes of the fight. Um, his speed is good. I mean, we're getting in a situation where Anthony Johnson was known as the you know a guy at welterweight who had powerful strikes and you know good. Strikes striking ability for the first couple minutes of the fight at least um good wrestling but would tire out and would be somewhat inactive later in the fight uh and also was fairly slow for welterweight you know after the first couple minutes uh now we're getting to a point where we see anthony johnson a light heavyweight he still has that same crazy power but now he's uh now he's fast throughout the fight he has great cardio he's just the the best version of him possible and uh Big Nog, uh, or Lil Nog, excuse me. Uh, Lil Nog is coming off of a pretty huge layoff. Uh, his last fight was a big upset win against Rashad Evans, and I think a lot of people forget because you know Evans is a uh, has kind of redeemed himself since that loss, and Nogueira is not really ranked anywhere because of his layoff. But let's it was keep... just a weird fight too. It was weird. It was definitely weird. Um, High five. But. <laughs> But but yeah, Noguera has been fairly inactive. He's had a lot of injuries throughout his career. He is definitely on the the downswing of his of his mixed martial arts career at 38 years old, and he is uh, very slow for a light heavyweight at this point. And that's really the big issue for me. Um, Anthony Johnson is going to have a huge speed and power advantage. He is going to tag Noguera constantly in this fight, um, and. That's, I mean, that's really, that's really, that's really about it. Um, I don't think Noguera, you know, Noguera primarily attacks with boxing. Johnson's a much more versatile striker. Um, he can get in and out better than Noguera uh, at this point in his career, and this is just going to be a very easy win for Johnson, in my opinion. I think Johnson can knock Noguera out, um, or if he doesn't do that, he can, he can, you know, as he's shown, he can go 15 strong minutes now. So if he, so you know, regardless, there isn't really a time for Noguera to, you know, wait it out and then, uh, uh, then kind of come back from being tagged early. Johnson's going to have the speed, the power, and the versatility and the wrestling advantage all throughout this fight. Um, I I don't know what more there is to say. This is a Anthony Johnson would have to would have to really lay an egg here to lose. Uh, it's a tailor made matchup for him. And I think it's going to be him punching Noguera in the face and kicking Noguera in the face repeatedly. Okay. Thank you, Bryce. And what about you, Ian? So, yeah, with regards to Rumble Johnson's return to the UFC, I was definitely, after his time in the World Series of Fighting, convinced that he did belong in the UFC's light heavyweight roster. Now, you're going to grant, obviously, that the UFC's light heavyweight division is pretty thin, um, and I considered him at that time to be the kind of guy who could pretty much go 500 in the UFC. You know, obviously, he'll pick on the weak ones. Uh, He probably won't get anywhere close to title contention. And then he beat the shit out of Phil Davis. And it was really good, and he was really effective throughout, and he basically erased any doubts that you could have really had about him uh, as far as 
what his peak potential for performance at light heavyweight is. It was still only one fight, though. So uh, I'd like to see him replicate that performance against Noguera, and I do think he can do so, largely because of Noguera's layoff and also because that weird win that Noguera got over Rashad Evans mostly had to do, in my opinion, with Rashad Evans having his head up his ass. Uh, there was no reason for him to uh, be so timid in the striking against Noguera or so repetitive or so willing to just play patty cake. Um, he really never did anything to change the momentum of that fight um, or try to change the complexion of it at all. He essentially let himself get controlled on the feet for three solid rounds. I don't think Rumble Johnson's going to do that. Rumble Johnson's versatile. Uh, he's got power in his punches. He's got power in his kicks. He doesn't use his knees very much, but I'm sure he's got power there as well. Um, and he's going to put it on Noguera. Basically, that's how it is. Uh, Noguera's also got the layoff going on. Um, I'm not sure how much that's going to affect him because he's had layoffs before and has come back effectively. Um, another thing that I can say to Noguera's credit is that he is in better um, shape than his brother in terms of being chinny. Um, <laughs> he's still got a bit of toughness in him, but, I mean, his brother is just way beyond, like, glass chinned at this point. So that's that's not saying much. Um, but he is he has still been historically tough to finish, except for that one knockout loss against uh, Sokoju um, that nobody should mention ever because Sokoju. Um, and I think this could this could very well be uh, the second one in his career because uh, Johnson is going to put it on him effectively and he's got very versatile striking. Um, and obviously he's shown since his days at welterweight that he's had crazy power. So there are a number of ways that he could wind up knocking Noguera out here, and I think ultimately he's going to find one. Um, and this is going to be a knockout or a TKO win for Rumble Johnson uh, and an emphatic statement in terms of his return to the UFC's light heavyweight division. Okay. Thanks, Ian. I'll go ahead and make my pick. Uh, pick in Johnson as well. Shocker. But, yes, I am indeed very impressed by Anthony Johnson, especially with his performance. He essentially beat up Phil Davis for his lunch money and also looked you know, bigger than Phil Davis, the natural light heavyweight. And um, Johnson just looked pretty spectacular, just striking, just essentially... Yeah, just essentially outclassed Phil Davis. Like, who is, well, I mean, at least top 10 by heavyweight. Um, and also phenomenal wrestler. So now he's going up against Noguera, who, yep, long layoff. Uh, I guess, what does Noguera have? He's the southpaw, I guess. He's old. He, I was never, well, I mean, Yes, he did get knocked out by Sokoju years ago. Has it almost been 10 years now? Mm-hmm. But, yep, Sokoju has enough cardio to last him for about a minute. But this is Anthony Johnson, who I would argue probably hits harder than Sokoju, can last longer than Sokoju, uh, is a better striker than Sokoju, and has better wrestling than Sokoju. Okay, are we really going to go down the line here and compare Rumble Johnson to Sokju? Sokju has better hair. Uh, Sokju has yeah. a more interesting name. He does. Uh, Sokuju, he's also Sokuju a prince. Has more, he has more Bellator wins. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pretty sure Sokju is a prince in Cameroon. I don't think Anthony Johnson... Well, I guess Anthony Johnson could like, beat up Sokju and then take that prince title. 
Yep. So, yeah. Anthony Johnson's better than Sokaju. And, yeah. Go Rumble Johnson. What were you, Tad? I'm picking Rumble Johnson as well. This is a this was a very easy pick for me. Um, I love like, Little Nog, but he is kind of a little outdated, you know, by this point. Uh, mm-hmm. He is uh, he's slow. Um, he's showing tons. He's showing signs of his wear from all the battles he had in Pride and his previous work. He, it's it's the the thing to know about Little Nog is that he hasn't he has not only com- competed in MMA but he has also competed in like boxing. Like amateur boxing, and I think also yeah, amateur boxing, and he might have done professional, but I'm not sure. But it's just that, yeah, it's he's he's really old. I mean, uh, I think Johnson can take this fight wherever he wants. I mean, he can probably take this fight to the ground and then uh, finish him with the ground and pound if he wants to. He wants he can knock, uh, uh, you know, little knock out. I think one area of weakness for Johnson is his jiu-jitsu. So that if if I were a little off, I think I would want to take this fight to the ground and have Johnson on the back. But uh, that would be very difficult to do. Uh, Johnson would have to make a big mistake for that to happen. And, you know, I mean, I'm picking Johnson, but I really want little off to win. So... But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think this is a pretty clear pick. I think Johnson would win. I don't see how Little Nog can submit Johnson or possibly get a. Yeah, I mean, he just you just have to hold for like one punch knockout or just a just miraculous submission. That's the only way Little Nog can win. So I'm going with Johnson. Cool. All right, and odds. Uh, well, Nogueira is a big favorite here. Wait, no, no, no. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Johnson, Johnson is Johnson is the biggest favorite on this card. Uh, he's about minus five fifty, and Nogueira is about plus uh, four thirty. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, now on to the main event of the evening. We have Ruthless Robbie Lawler versus Matt the Immortal Brown. Okay. Uh, let's hear first from Ian. Um, okay. Uh, this fight is amazing. Um, and I, I simultaneously like and dislike the way the UFC has essentially been marketing it because I totally agree that if you just look at this on paper, this looks like fight of the year. Um, but you probably shouldn't say, hey, this one's going to be the fight of the year because A, it kind of jinxes it and B, it's sort of like, what's it say about the rest of your product? If these other like big fights that you're putting on aren't going to be matched by this main event on a non-pay-per-view card. Anyway, um, Matt Brown and Robbie Lawler, it's, it's, it's just, it's great. Um, they're both super tough. Uh, really gritty, awesome fighters. Um, they're both pretty good strikers. I think I give Lawler the edge in terms of uh, his striking technique and his power, though. Uh, but Matt Brown uh, is definitely the kind of fighter who can change a fight with his strikes. 
Um, they both uh, have incredible toughness in terms of both their chins and their just durability in general. Um, I've seen both of them grit through crazy body shots and shit like that. Uh, both of them put, like, um, in situations where they were about to lose and then pulled out the win. Uh, so I can understand why it, it looks like a fight of the year in that sense, because uh, these are both guys who bring it, and these are both guys who don't fold. Um, Robbie Lawler has obviously looked fantastic since returning to the UFC and dropping to welterweight. Uh, his cardio has been there. Um, he's been very effective with his striking combinations and his versatility. Uh, he was able to pull off a big win over Rory McDonald and then lost a very close fight to Johnny Hendricks. Um, where he showed that he was competitive even in the later rounds. Uh, and then Matt Brown obviously has been on some sort of crazy tear where uh, he went from being basically on the verge of being bounced from the UFC to seven wins in a row, and um, really all of them, uh, except for the Stephen Thompson one, quite impressive. Um, the fight against Eric Silva, obviously for me anyway, that's fight of the year up to this point. Um, it was a crazy war. Uh, Brown was in control of most of it, but he did have to endure some in, uh, adversity. Um, and it, it's just a really good time for this matchup as well. Uh, for me, Lawler's slight advantages on the feet definitely matter. Uh, I think Lawler has a better wrestling base. Um, and though Matt Brown has shown great improvement over his jujitsu, it's still difficult for me uh, to imagine Matt Brown uh, taking Lawler down and trying to threaten with submissions. These guys both essentially um, spend the majority of the time in their fights trying to stand and trade, or Matt Brown, actually both of them really, um, can use effective ground and pound when necessary. Uh, so I think this is essentially going to be a standing war for the most part. I think Lawler gets the better of that. Matt Brown uh, can potentially change the momentum of this fight by trying to get Lawler down and inflict ground and pound, but I think that's going to be difficult to do. Um, and I think Lawler is essentially going to set the pace uh, with his striking technique and with his power. And I think eventually, though Matt Brown is tough as hell, uh, it's going to get to him and he's probably going to fold. Um, if this goes five rounds, my God, it's going to be amazing. But uh, I think it's going to be amazing even if it goes less. So for me, it's a pick for Robbie Lawler. Um, it's uh, a really good fight either way. Um, but obviously this has to be the title, uh, the title eliminator. Okay. Thank you, Ian. Uh, go ahead and make my pick. I'm going with... Robbie Lawler as well. I think really the deciding factor um, for this fight was just that Lawler, I do believe Lawler does have the better striking technique and more power. And I think how this plays a hand is that Lawler is a southpaw and he has a very good left kick, both high and also mid. And I think he will use that to his advantage especially given that Brown, um, in his latest fight against Silva, uh, against Eric Silva, showed that he got hurt not once but twice by, uh, by body kicks towards the liver. So while he was good enough to grit, to grit through them and avoid getting finished, I just, uh, if he does get, I just believe that if he did get hurt against Lawler, Lawler has insane finishing ability. And, I mean, ruthless, if you will, in the way that he finishes fights and just has insane power. So, I think that, like, Robbie Lawler 
in terms of in terms of striking, in terms of power, just um, technique wise, and yeah. But I think this is a competitive fight, regardless. I think both um, both guys are primarily strikers, and both um, both are super aggressive. So I think this is a very very interesting matchup. Uh, what about you, Bryce? Yeah, I love this fight. Um, I don't. This is one of the hardest fights for me to pick. Probably the hardest on the card because I really love what Matt Brown does on the feet, and I think he's very underrated there. Uh, what he does in the clinch is is fantastic. And I don't think people realize just how just how uh, imposing his clinch game is with he with the way that he keeps fighters against the cage. Uh, you know he's and he's so active there. You know he's not he's not uh, just grinding them against the fence. He is fantastic at landing big shots over and over again and uh, keeping the fighters in the clinch without getting without getting tagged himself. Um, he really doesn't absorb as much damage as you know we saw we saw in the first round against Eric Silva. Brown said said in that fight that he. Uh, that he just kind of took him a while to wake up, and uh, I honestly believe him because that's so unlike what we've seen from Matt Brown. He again, Jordan Meehan tagged him a bit. He did get hurt early in the Eric Silva fight, but for the most part, I mean, he has been in in his last really four fights: the Silva, Pyle, Meehan, and Swick. Other than again the couple of moments, he's really had extended periods without taking much damage at all, where he's dished out a ton of damage. Again, super accurate, and I love his clinch work. Um, Robbie Lawler is a hard guy to pin down, and that to me is the is the big question of this fight: is can Brown get Lawler in that clinch? Because out in the pocket, Lawler's the better striker, or at distance, I should say, no question. Lawler with his kicks and his uh his his great boxing ability as well, he's the more versatile striker. Uh, Lawler is the better technical striker than Matt Brown. Um. uh, at open distance but in the clinch if brown can get him in that position brown has the advantage uh so that's an interesting aspect to this fight the problem is that i think lawler is going to be very difficult for brown to corner i think lawler will come in with the right game plan and will move uh will will keep brown uh away from the keep brown away from the clinch area and will uh We'll be able to outstrike him on on the feet. Uh, if either of these guys want to take it to the ground, I honestly think they both can. Even though Lawler's uh, wrestling is probably better than Brown's, um, and Lawler's wrestling has been very good in his last few fights, I think that just uh, the surprise of Brown taking him down will be able to 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 get him there. Uh, I think Lawler's going to throw a lot of kicks in this fight because he does want to keep distance with Brown and keep Brown on the outside. He doesn't want to get into a brawl with Matt Brown. That's a recipe for disaster. Um, so I, I think that Brown, uh, could take advantage of one of Lawler's kicks and take him down, but Lawler also, you know, can mix it up and take Brown down because I think he has the better wrestling ability. So that's also a big, a big part of this. Um, and I, I don't know, these guys are both very similar in many respects. Both of them, I, I think this is not being talked about enough. This is to me the great story of this fight. These are both guys who a couple years ago, were pretty much irrelevant in MMA. These are guys who have turned their careers around in a huge way and are both both have become, you know, have have gone from being irrelevant to two of the most exciting fighters in the in the UFC. Um yeah. 
So I I love this matchup. I'm sorry someone has to lose it. Like I as this is one of those fights where I am going to love every single second of it, and then I am going to be sad when it's over because it means one of them has at least temporarily dropped out of title consideration. Um, but yeah, I think I think Lawler has more versatility. I think he's the better technical striker, um, and I think he'll come in. I think he's the experienced, smart fighter. Or he is an experienced smart fighter who can come in with the right game plan to keep himself off of the fence and away from the strengths of Matt Brown. So uh, I think I think Lawler is going to take this one. Um, also, Lawler has shown very good cardio uh, in the Johnny Hendricks fight. He went five rounds. Brown has not done that yet. Um, I favor Lawler if it goes into the the later rounds. So. Um, we could see a situation where Lawler gets a, a late round finish. I could also see this being a decision, honestly, with both of both of them being so tough. So, awesome fight, but I'm going with Robbie Lawler. Cool. And yeah, two years ago, if you were to say that Robbie Lawler and Matt Brown would be two of the most two top welterweights in the UFC, that would be pretty laughable. Yeah. Okay, and what are your thoughts, Tad? I'm picking Roller as well. I think, Pachula, you brought up an excellent point that I want to kind of elaborate. Um, um, I do think Matt Brown does does have a couple chink in his armor, and the biggest chink is his vulnerability to body. Um, I did, you know, he's shown against Eric Silva fight that you know in the first round Eric Silva. Who's a southpaw? I think, right? Is is Eric Silva a southpaw? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Eric Silva uh, kind of uh, tagged him, tagged Matt Brown, you know, in the body, and then he did crumple. He showed the same kind of uh, vulnerability when he fought against Jordan Meehan, who also tagged him with the body shot, and he almost crumpled and lost the fight. Uh, he, to his credit, he came back. And won both of the fights. Uh, it doesn't matter what he says at the end of the fight. He stopped them. He stalled them. He he dropped to the ground and he almost got finished. And that's the important part. Um, Robbie Waller, who is a southpaw, Jordan Meehan, he's a he's Jordan Meehan, he's a south he's a southpaw who switches stances. And Eric Silva, I think, oh, I also believe he's a southpaw. Eric Silva is not a southpaw. Is it is he orthodox? He does okay. switch. He does switch stances, but his main stance is orthodox. Okay. Yeah, Mian's also orthodox. Yeah. Yeah. So they're both. Um, they're both. Um, okay. So, but I do think it was a left hook. I'm, I don't remember, but I think it was always the left hook that got him down. Maybe it was. It was just. Regardless, um, I think it is to just dismiss that you know those two fights and say that um, you know his uh, his. He is not vulnerable to body strikes. I think is um, a bit of like a, is is kind of like a, is um, I don't think you should do that. Um, Robbie Lawler being a superior boxer and more technical fighter who has great head movements um, can definitely exploit that weakness. And I'm pretty sure now that he trains the American Top Team. There's no way they're not going to exploit that weakness. I think, and another thing is Matt Brown. He's kind of a um, well when he gets in clinch, he can use his knees and he can really, really be brutal. But at distance, uh, only you know before he gets in pocket, 
he's kind of a um, headhunter. He kind of swings for the head. And Robert Waller has a really, really good head movement. So I think that will also come into an advantage. Overall, I think Robert Waller's, um he's a smarter fighter. He is more technical. And he is, um, and quite honestly, if he gets into brawl, he probably would not be, um, um, you, he wouldn't mind being in a brawl. He can definitely, you know, stand his own in brawl. He has been in, in brawls, you know, in the past couple, of t- you know, in his past fights. So, I don't know. I think I have to pick Roller, who's been, you know, who's been proven more. He's fought higher competition, and uh, he's shown that he can outstand or win against those higher competition. Matt Brown, you know, as as exciting he he ha- as he has been in the past couple fights. His um, most, I guess, the most competitive fight he had is either Mike Pyle or Eric Silva, and you know that's not, that's um you know, that's barely outside of top ten, but that's not that as a high of a competition as like some of the guys that Robbie Lawler has faced. So, going with Matt, uh, going with Robbie Lawler. Cool, and odds. Odds on this fight minus uh, about three sixty for Robbie Lawler plus two two seventy for Matt Brown. I don't think it's that big of a difference, but I don't either. I, I, I do believe Lawler should be the favorite. I I agree. But I don't think it should be like plus one ten kind of close. I think it should be more like plus one ninety Lawler. Somewhere around there. Cool. And thus ends another podcast. This is a solid card. I have it's a great say. card. Yeah. Yep. Fantastic card.